Will somebody please cue that void? And welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I am <laughs> Stephen Alexander, and I'm here today with Animaloid Techno Furry Brendan Jones. <laughs> oh my word, Brendan, you have. I, I gave you a choice of cartoons. You had. You could have chosen any cartoon in the world, and. For some reason that I am still rather perplexed about, you have chosen the Samurai Pizza Cats. I have indeed. So being a child of the late 80s, early 90s, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, it's a great time for kids' cartoons. There's Transformers, of course, the main focus of this show, um, and sort of related shows like uh, GoBots, Centurions, Mask, um through to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and everything they begat, like the sewer sharks and the biker mice from Mars. My my first choice that I was leaning to when you asked me was actually X-Men the Animated Series. But I, I sort of felt that that was kind of, re- you know, a really big property. And I thought, let's, I wanted to go for something smaller. And uh, yeah, I chose Samurai Pizza Cats. So was this something that you'd have watched, uh, you'd watched, you'd have been, what, uh, I I presume 13, 14 or a bit younger? So I I was a little bit younger because Australia was one of the first, if not the first, um, majority English speaking territory to get the program. So the, uh, it's a dub of a Japanese uh, cartoon series, that being Kyoto Ninden Taiendi or Legend of the Cat Ninjas Taiendi or Cat Ninja Legend Taiendi, depending on how you translate it. And that was shown in 1991 in Japan. Uh, the dub in America happened 1991-1992, but America didn't get the show until 1996. Australia got it in 1992. And the reason I remember it was 1992 is that it was taken off halfway through its run for two weeks of the Barcelona Olympics. And this was the first time I knew what the Olympics were. I was nine years old and I was really annoyed at the Olympics for taking off my show. Uh, So it's fair to say you're quite addicted to this cartoon. I absolutely was. And um, so in Australia, we didn't so much have the tradition of Saturday morning cartoons. They were Saturday morning cartoons, but it was more of a weekday morning thing. We had, in the 90s, two uh, rival kids' programs. One was called Agro's Cartoon Connection, um, which had a um, uh, a puppet host who was, if you imagine, a sort of, not exactly foul-mouthed, but certainly uncouth um, bath mat crossed with basil brush, uh, and then over on another channel, we had Cheese TV, which was hosted by two guys in their late teens and was a bit more hip and with, um, and with it, as it were. I, I, I was never a hip child. But uh, Agro's Cartoon Connection had Samurai Pizza Cats, and it must have been on in the 7.30 to 8am slot, or possibly the 8 to 8.30 slot, because at 8.30 I had to leave for school. 
And I remember it was something that not only I enjoyed, but my older brother, who's nine years older than me, liked it. Um, And my parents used to laugh at it as well. And now revisiting it, I realise it's because there are jokes in there for adults. (laughs) Yes. So, so, So let me get this straight. So before school in the morning, the Australian kids will get dosed up on sugary cereal and yep. watch Samurai Pizza Cats and then be expected to learn. That, yes. is, that is not a good combination, I swear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to give you an idea of what these cartoons were in the morning, both shows would kind of start at 6.30 and their first show would usually be something from the 80s. So it would be Astro Boy or it would be uh, Gummy Bears, you know, something a bit more classic like that. And then the new stuff, the primetime stuff would be later on. So Pokemon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Samurai Pizza Cats, Bob in a Bottle, which was from the same studio as this and has a bloody traumatizing ending. And that's why I didn't choose that to talk about. Um, And the thing is you would go to school and some of you had watched Agro's Cartoon Connection. So you could tell the plots about Agro's Cartoon Connection. Others had watched Cheese TV and tell the plots about those cartoons. And some of the other kids would have watched them. ABC kids in the morning, but that was more for the that was more for the little ones. Um, but I, I must confess, even at the age of ten, I do remember sick days where I'm like, I need some comfort television. I'm going to put on Sesame Street. Uh, I'd like to share with you the scant research I've done prior to uh, this podcast, <laughs> of course. So I, I had a look at some of the people behind Samurai Pizza Cat, so I knew who to blame. And we have uh, oh, we, we have a top cast. They're all people who do lots of voiceover work working on this basically so there's rick jones as speedy ceviche who does uh, 158 actor credits on imdb including kindergarten cop care bears assassin's creed in fact everyone who's involved in this seems to have worked on assassin's creed at some point so i don't know if the assassin's (laughs) creed franchise just sucks in voice actors we've got sonia ball as polyester who was in pinocchio 3000 yeah, I noticed that credit as well, and now I kind of want to watch it. I'm sure it's terrible. <laughs> uh, Terence Scammell as Guido Anchovy, who was in Ballerina and Splinter Chaos Theory. That tells us nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I was looking at the cast list and kind of going, look, Frank Welker has to be in here somewhere, or or um, the guy who played Shaggy, Kareem, has to be in here somewhere, or Billy West must have done one of these. But it looks like who you've got doing this is sort of workaday voice actors who have been in so many things but not had a breakout role like Optimus Prime or Ren and Stimpy. But, but, I did find out that the music was by Shuki Levy and Haim Saban. Indeed. And they are the most incredible composers. They have done all the themes, well, most of the themes you remember. I've got the credit list including Ulysses 31, he-Man and Master of the Universe, Inspector Gadget, Pole Position, Jason the Wheeled Warriors, Rainbow Bright, Mask, The Real Ghostbusters, X-Men, and X-Men. the Power Rangers. So, I mean, wow, every, every all of these great high-powered, high-energy tunes are down to these guys. Yeah. It's it's insane. Do you, do you know much about them? Um, well, the main thing I know about them is the name Saban, you know, which was at the end of X-Men and this and Power Rangers growing up. You know, they are two Japanese anime localization in the 80s and 90s, what Jerry and Sylvia Anderson were to children's entertainment in the 60s and 70s. You know, they are absolutely legendary. And their selection of this show 
paved it, it's kind of weird it paved the way for them to pick up power rangers despite the fact it didn't get broadcast in america until after power rangers ah this is a kind of it, it is a kind of precursor to that kind of adaptation where it hmm. takes the bare bones of what is already an extremely strange and postmodern kind of anime series and then transforms it into something more appropriate to the american market while paying very little attention to what is actually going on on screen most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole genesis of the show is is a strange thing in and of itself. And there's been a there's been a there's been a few myths about it over the years that have kind of been uh, a bit busted. As um, really, the show sort of got released on DVD about ten years ago. So initially what the received wisdom was was the reason the show is so off the wall and breaks the fourth wall and has so many cultural references is that it didn't do very well in Japan, which is fact. The original show did not do particularly well in Japan. They made 54 episodes, which was about standard. Two of them were clip shows. Again, pretty standard. And so I think it was Saban was in Japan looking around for new titles and just saw it on a, um, a hotel TV didn't know what was going on of course but went visually this is really interesting so got the localization rights but then discovered that all the scripts had been destroyed as the Japanese version has become more readily available what appears to be the case is the Japanese version was similarly irreverent and broke the fourth wall and had lots of jokes about Japanese culture so it seems more likely that scripts were available but when they were translated it's like well none of these jokes will make sense to an American audience anyway so let's write our own scripts the one thing that is consistent in both of those stories is apparently uh, during the writing process the writers of the American version didn't get a copy of the script they just watched the visuals and thought what can basically match the episode as it exists with minor visual edits. And so it does absolutely have that quality of some mates getting together. But it was just for me as a child, this conflux of I was already into Monty Python. I had Hercules Returns on. I think I occasionally caught an episode of Mystery Science Theatre 3000. And then the Samurai Pizza Cats come along and it's completely madcap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's certainly on a different gear to all of those shows. So let's do a little bit of background for all the millions of listeners who have not yet perhaps seen the Samurai Pizza Cats. So uh, essentially, it's incredibly simple. There are three cats who yep. are actually ninjas although they call themselves samurai because that's just a cool word as far as i can make out is that fair well, i i think that's fair and also as much as there are uh lines and lyrics in the show sending up the ninja turtles they wanted to avoid the word ninja to avoid um any kind of legal trouble but also to avoid trouble in europe because of course yes. you you guys didn't get ninja turtles you got hero turtles because ninja couldn't be mentioned yeah, to give them their full title in the UK, it's Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, <laughs> as we're all very familiar with. God, I've never heard that version of the theme. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, Heroes in a Half Shell, Turtle Power! Right, so that, uh, that's tremendous fun. So, so three samurai cats, they run a pizza parlour by day. Mm-hmm in the town of Little Tokyo, 
where everyone's, as we get told in the opening sprawl, it's populated by a whole bunch of cartoon characters who look like hippos and cats and foxes and sheep. Well, what else is there? Um, so the reason they are fighting crime all over town, as the opening uh, theme tells us, is that the deputy mayor of Little Tokyo, the big uh, Seymour, the big cheese, is a rat, uh, little android rat, rat droid, rodent droid, who uh, basically wants to take over the town, but also wants to scare people into spending money because he owns lots of businesses. So yeah. they are constantly fighting against him. Meanwhile, the uh, mayor of the town is pretty ineffectual, but his head of staff, Big Al Dente, who is a Saint Bernard, is not able to act against the Big Cheese openly, so he recruits the Pizza Cats to foil the Big Cheese's themes, which inevitably involves some kind of giant mech. Do you know what? That explains quite a lot that I didn't pick up from the episodes I watched. <laughs> So coming back, coming back to Seymour the Big Cheese. So he is not obviously a... I had him as a mouse, but he could also be a fox or a rat. But the really interesting thing is that his neck goes up into his head and there's a hole. So it looks like he's wearing some kind of mask, but he's not. And it's all very odd. Yeah, yeah. He is a fox in the Japanese original. But during the localization, the script writing team went... Well, the natural enemy of a cat would be a rat or a mouse. So they're like, he's a rat. And he is a rat until you see his tail, which is a sort of brush-like fox tail. And also his name in Japan includes the word kitsune, which is Japanese, uh, Japanese type of fox. So <laughs> it, all, it, all, um, <laughs> it all works that way there. But yeah, the, the pacing is so frenetic. It's just boom, 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 which... In an era where this did not get a home media release when it was on, like it didn't get any mm. videos or anything like that, it's quite extraordinary just how fast-paced it is. Yes. Uh, like many of the projects that I engage with, I think the uh, people who are doing the dub were mainly amusing themselves yes. and possibly <laughs> hoping that other people would latch onto it. So, but, but that's re it's really good in a way because it does give it that replay value, even if... I watch it and I say, I've watched the opening titles seven or eight times and there are still bits I haven't caught or worked out what they're actually saying. <laughs> so you can come back to that. And also, yeah, for anyone trying to do a synopsis of these episodes, no, no way. It is a challenge. It is tough. <laughs> I swear. So with my approach, I've just gone for the broad strokes of what's going totally, on. Totally. Because... If I tried to get down every joke and every culture reference in there, you, it's just, yeah, there's there's one, there's another, there's another, there's another, there's another. And the original cartoon looks pretty damn weird anyway. So yep. and there's also, as one or two other characters, there's Lucille as well. So what's Lucille's deal? Lucille is the love interest for Speedy and Guido. And so they will often fight over her and she, she, for reasons completely unknown, has head and shoulder mounted missiles, which go off when she's stressed. So in the first episode, for instance, their argument over her devolves into, um, devolves into political bashing, with Speedy calling Guido a communist and Guido calling Speedy a, a neo-fascist, which I promise you, I would not have gotten at nine years old. And Lucille screams, stop talking politics! 
sex and blows them both up and then says, where's my pizza? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I think, I think that covers the main point. So let's dive into our first episode. Yes, indeed. Or which is called stop dragon. My cat around. Indeed. Yes. Puns ahoy. (laughs) And, Let's talk about the title sequence first. <laughs> the uh, ninety-second-long title sequence. It's it's important when you are adapting a property and you don't know what's going on to eat up as much time as possible with the title sequence. <laughs> it is it is abundantly clear that the animation is all consistent, but they have added the text title "Samurai Pizza Cats." Yes, that is, looks completely completely different. So uh, the opening and closing title sequences um, are both sung by Michael Arrington. However, he's credited under singing sensation Googie Gomez in the closing credits because uh, he was also part of the writing team. Now, according to uh, the producer Andy Thomas, uh, Michael had uh, to have a little bit of liquid courage before the recording session just because the whole thing was so rapid. And so um, during the opening title sequence, when Guido is introduced uh, with the line, this cat gets down, down with a love hangover, that was a blooper. Uh, He was only meant to say down once, but it fitted the rhythm and he just kept going. He just kept carrying on. And the uh, the voice he used was styled to be like Paul Lind. <laughs> to, and to paraphrase my friend Nathan talking about Art, Mal- Art Malik, kids in the nineties love Paul Lind. Uh, well, especially the gay ones. It's true. It definitely sets the tone for the show you're about to see. You know, will somebody cue that damn bird? If someone can find the script, we might begin the show. And uh, and also that line is what bore the myth that they didn't receive any scripts. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, when yeah, you say so, it up front, out, out and loud to everyone, we don't have a script, then of course that kind of myth is going to come around. I, I, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what was going on? Well, it, w- it was a good enough joke that the Animaniacs stole it for their opening theme. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, we should also probably mention slightly... Okay, so we talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which this... Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a US creation, wasn't it? It was, but it was quite popular in Japan when this was first uh, created because uh, Konami in Japan, uh, the video game company, uh, created uh, a Ninja Turtles video game, uh, which was very famous for the Nintendo Entertainment System, but also also regarded as very strange because it contained lots of enemies that weren't in the TV series, and that's because it was made in Japan, where... (laughs) um, uh, Jap- uh, Japanese gaming companies tended to play a bit fast and loose with source material when these kind of things came up. Uh, so there is definitely, I think, even in the minds of the Japanese creators, a um, a possibility that they were lampooning the Ninja Turtles somewhat. <laughs> oh yeah, and they go to great lengths to make sure that there is a shot in the opening title sequence of an elderly turtle getting squashed by a big bit of rubble. That's so- right. They are quite. They they are well aware of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Indeed. they they absolutely know that this is because the turtles love pizza. Samurai pizza cats, <laughs> but I but I don't see that one has necessarily influenced the other. I don't see that there's a rip either way because it's not 
not necessarily the case that this is just a pizza ca- um, Ninja Turtle cash-in. No, I don't think it is. Unlike, say, with Street Sharks, which I mentioned earlier, or Biker Mice from Mars, uh, although those shows do definitely have their merits, and I loved Biker Mice from Mars, I think, you know, possibly something that happens in Japan is a Japanese creator will find out about a story from another country and go, I'm going to do my own spin on this. So if there is any influence from the Ninja Turtles here, I think it's just someone going, hey, anthropomorphic animals are big at the moment. I've got a cat. Let's do a show about cats. Well, we can't do ninjas because the turtles are ninjas. Let's do samurai. But of course, they are ninjas in the Japanese version, but they're using samurai iconography as well. Um... Yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily a direct attempt to rip. And what I find very amusing as the series goes on is they do include lots of uh, references to um, big musical stars from around the world, such as Madonna and Michael Jackson, and characters from around the world. And so a lot of those episodes never got shown in the US for reasons of copyright. Whereas Japan's attitude to copyright is very different. And a particular example of this, I don't know if you've covered in the series any of the adaptations, uh, Japanese adaptations of Lupin the Third. Um, so Lupin the Third may be more familiar to listeners. There's currently a Netflix adaptation of Lupin that's f- a lot close to the source material. The many Japanese adaptations of Lupin the Third have never been ratified by the author's family. Okay, the, yes. The artist who came up with that style of Lupin the Third, Monkey Punch, was apparently in litigation with them until the day he died. And <laughs> Japanese, Japanese copyright law is like, no, you can remix stuff, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that creates a lot of interesting opportunities, but at the same time... It takes money away from original creators, but but yeah. does it? Does it? I, I don't know. I, you know, you come up with a great idea, you think it's going to make you a ton of money, you end up destitute. That's not good. But at the same mm-hmm. time, when you get people extending their copyright, their copyrights for 50 years after the creator's death or 100 years after the creator's death, that's just insane. There, you know, there, there needs to be somewhere in the middle where eventually you can pick these things up and remix them. Anyway... So we are introduced to Little Tokyo with a beautiful panning shot that sweeps across this actually really rather gorgeous looking landscape. It's, it's again, gorgeous backgrounds. And it starts in with the wacky chat. It's exactly like your town if it was populated by cats and ducks and cartoon characters. <laughs> and then the dialogue kicks off at a million miles an hour. We go straight down to the samurai pizza parlor where we meet the real heroes, the customers. <laughs> So what's going on at the Samurai Pizza Parlor in the first episode? So uh yeah, they get uh, they get they get the order for Francine, but I think even before that we're very clearly set up that there's you know, there's a rivalry between this lot, there's weird flavours going on and They're very rude to the customers, aren't they? They're very rude to the customers. And you know, I have to wonder, given that um in Japan, the service industry is so heavily based on, you know, be, being polite and being super helpful for customers. You have to wonder if this is a subversion of that. But of course, yeah. you know, you it gets sent over to America where there's that expectation as well, especially from customers being 
you know, stereotypically very rude to staff, that we're flipping that on its head in the American dub as well. Hey, lady! You serve shrimps, lady? Do we serve shrimps? Of course we do! Sure, it doesn't matter to us how short you are. But this is one point where it's def- I think that's definitely diverged from the original, because I think it's probably just kind of nice, kind of like chat, and they've gone in and they've just said, what's the rudest thing we can put in that we can get away with at this point? Oh, totally. Totally. Like, and that, that comes back to the, the current concept, which is you could have had a, a direct dub of what's going on, and a lot of anime fans prefer that. But at the same time, if the cultural references are lost or if the humour doesn't work, is it better to come up with something else? And I think possibly in an anime that's more focused on, let's say, plot and world building, something like Robotech or Macross, there is, I think, some point there in not changing the story as much as possible. But something like this where it's where it's very heavily culturally based to begin with, I think there's room for a lot of fun there. And in Japan, I don't think that height is as much of a big deal as it can be in Western culture. And I say that as a short man, I'm five foot four, you know, and there are so many jokes in especially American sitcoms about, oh, but he's short, big laugh, you know, and the idea of the Napoleon complex when Napoleon was in fact of average height. It is it is interesting. As you say, I think they've gone for a joke which is this is universally going to get a laugh because short jokes are funny. So the first thing that happens is they get an order in from Lucille the sheep. Yes. And Guido and Savici are both very excited and start competing for the delivery. They start saying, oh, no, I, I definitely want to deliver to Lucille. I, I want to deliver to Lucille. And their argument just gets more and more violent as the pizza gets delivered. Totally. And, it, you know, it reminds me of um, Roadrunner and Wally Coyote. It reminds me of Spy versus Spy, which Spy versus Spy and um, uh, Wally Coyote and Roadrunner, massive international popularity because there's no language barrier. Yeah. Whereas this is absolutely peppered with dialogue and i love it ending with guido complaining that he didn't agree to do all this violent stuff he wants his agent on the phone now and that's a joke (laughs) that gets repeated throughout the series like guido constantly (laughs) wants to talk to his agent because what the hell is going on here (laughs) yeah and poor guido because you've got speedy who's the lead character you've got polyester who's the female character and Guido's just kind of the lead character again, but not the lead character. Mm. So I I can appreciate his position very much so. Totally. And the funny thing is, like, I remember as a kid Guido being my favourite. Because he was blue, and blue was and still is my favourite colour. And I think also because, uh, as we'll find out later in the episode, his weapon of choice isn't a traditional weapon. And I think that appealed to the Doctor Who fan in me. You know, anyone can run around with a sword. Can you take people out with a parasol? (laughs) Well, we'll see, won't we? How effective is the parasol? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I said about violence in their uh, attempt to steal the pizza from each other, but it's kind of like one gets a little fishing line and fishes it away, and then then he gets a big sort of like cart and runs the other guy over and spats them into the ground and that kind of stuff. So it is just cartoon violence. It's great fun. Oh, totally. But up, up, up on top of one of the buildings... Bad bird. Bat bird? Bad bird? Bad bird. He's bad bird. 
Bad Bird yeah. is spying on everyone. And he's got plans for the city. Yes, yeah. So Bad Bird is the Big Cheese's main henchman, and he is a crow. The, so the standard formula is he'll be observing the pizza cats at the beginning of the story, report back to the Big Cheese what's going on, and the Big Cheese will come up with the monster of the week. There are, of course, exceptions to that. And spoiler alert, Bad Bird actually has a bit of a character arc throughout the series. Uh, and I remember that being something I was really interested in as a child because I vividly remember the finale of this show, and it actually gets a finale, whereas a lot of animated series don't. And, um, you know, not to spoil anything for anyone who wants to go out and buy the DVD or the Blu-ray, they're freely available. Yeah, Bad Bird has a character arc over the course of the 52 English episodes. So, but it it always intrigued me in this show that we do have character development. There's other characters who come in later, like more powerful uh, sort of support cats. And then there's evil cats. And then there's the New York pizza cats who are called Michael Prince and Madonna. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but um, Bad, Bad Bird is very interesting because, of course, he'll soliloquize, he'll argue with the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he doesn't appreciate being made a fool of. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's straight on to breaking the fourth wall, isn't he? And I really like that kind of aspect because it's like, I, if I want to go for the most pretentious way to describe it possible, it's like having a symphony where you've got a theme and then you start doing variations on that theme and start changing yes. it slightly. And the pleasure is... It's been the same for some weeks, but this week it's it's changed it. It's it's gone slightly somewhere else that I didn't expect, and that that can make it very appealing, particularly if you've got. Did you say fifty two episodes? Fifty two episodes, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because it you know it's sort of one of the great things the show does is it works within the theme of this kind of Japanese um, anime series where you do have a giant monster of the week and at the end of the episode Speedy pulls out his sword and does a big wind-up animation and then, you know, splits the thing in half. And so you've got that formula. And what the writers do, which are which arguably I would say the early Power Rangers do, but as time goes on it just becomes a formula. What the writers do is they go, okay, we know the beginning, we know the end, let's have as much fun in the middle as possible. And speaking of the writers, uh, Stephen, did you uh, recognise the name of the writer for this first episode? Oh, Lord, no. I've given up on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's only credited as the writer for this episode, but he is credited as the writer, part of the writing team for the whole series. He is Ardright Chamberlain, okay. uh, perhaps better known as the voice of Kosh and Ulkosh in Babylon 5. Oh, oh, my. Oh, that's... Okay, that's superb. That's put a completely different slant on things. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because he was a writer and voice actor. He never does any voice acting for this show, apparently, but he was a big part of the humour of the show and so was chosen to also write the screenplay for the first episode. Excellent, excellent. That's a superb fact. Thank you very much, Brendan. No worries. <laughs> the avalanche has already started. It is too late for the pebbles to vote. Yeah. So we trot along to Lucille's tea house, where we meet Lucille for the first time, who is, mm -hmm. uh, I, okay, so she's supposed to be a sheep, but I didn't quite, I, I, she's not sheepy enough for me. She's more, she seems more human. 
Yes, yeah, I, I was actually thinking that until I watched the second episode, uh, which, spoiler alert, features her brother, who is rather more sheep-like. Um, and then I realised, oh yeah, she's got she's got the sort of curled horns going on, as, but in a Princess Leia style. But yeah, I think there is an effort to make her look more human and thus more desirable, which is often a, a weird thing in anime with <laughs> anthropomorphic characters, but cute. okay. I think it's, it's just cute. They're all cute, yes. actually. I really one thing I really definitely liked about this were the character designs, and they're really appealing, and they're all sort of good proportions. They're not like extreme Funko Pop weirdness. No, they're nicely circle, 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 sort of three circles on top of each other kind of layout, which is which, which is really good. And the the faces are cute, and the armor's cute. Yeah, the, look, the designs are great, and there's a there's a great consistency between them as well. Like as you say, I think it's. I think you're right. I think it's based on, you know, everything has a similar geometric uh, approach to the shape and then you add the animal features on top. Yeah, yeah. So Savici is the first person to arrive at Lucille's tea house and he gets there and he's handed her the pizza. Then Guido jumps on his head and jams him into the ground. (laughs) just sort of vanishes out of sight. And then Guido starts doing his love routine. And he's got, I, I really like his voice as well. Yes, yeah. Funny, the funny thing is, like you know, uh, not two minutes ago, I, I kind of went, oh, you know, weird being attractive, making these animals attractive. I think, um, I think before I quite knew that I was gay, that I had a bit of a crush on Guido Anchovy. Because I definitely, I definitely had a crush on Gambit around the same time over on X Men, and Guido's very similar. <laughs> yeah, but he's got that. He's got a really smooth. And he's he's he comes across as a, a sort of lover man kind of character. Mm, but he's got mm. that smooth American accent, that kind of charming voice. And yeah, I I, I, I can see the appeal, even if it is weird because it's a cartoon. But I think in 2023 we should be able to get over that because we've all come through this. We've all come through <laughs> yes. this together. Yes, Our generation has had had these cartoons that we've grown up with. It's affected us in all kinds of ways. Yep. And it's just something we have to deal with as a society now. So there we go. Yeah, I figure you deserve the best, Lucille. (laughs) You see, to me, a pizza without a flower is like a game of squash without a shower. Eventually, Guido serves... Finally, the pizza gets to Lucille. Mm -hmm. Ten minutes into the episode, 42 minutes into the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Guido and Savici then uh, Savici comes back out of the ground pops his little head up and then they have this big argument Savici is able to pull a tree out of the ground and swing it around and smash Guido over the head with it and then they have their little argument about politics and eco-terrorism and (laughs) eco-fascist communist and all this kind of weirdness as if the deforestation of the Brazilian rainforest wasn't bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then just when you th- just when you think you've got a handle on the situation, Lucille gets angry <laughs> and you get all the miss uh, her hair opens up like a robot and a ton of barrage of missiles comes flying out and blows everyone up and puts a big crater in the ground. Why isn't she part of the crime fighting team? <laughs> She's got she's got an incredibly effective attack. That's right. I, I mean, it doesn't hurt anyone, and they're just covered in in the cartoon way. They're covered in muck and dirt and lying down and a bit uncon, you know, a bit dazed and unconscious. But and also, 
is this something that a lot of characters can do? Why does she have missiles in her hair, Brendan? No, it you know, it doesn't seem to be. Like, the residents of Little Tokyo, who are, you know, running from the dragon two minutes from now, uh, don't seem to have any defensive capability at all. And I was actually thinking, watching this, that Speedy's got a sword, Guido's got a parasol, so Lucille has head missiles, Polly can, like, rope people in and has love heart daggers and love heart bombs and really sharp claws. And Francine fires the pizza cats out of a giant cannon. It's, it's, I was watching this going, you know, Lucille and Polly's powers are sort of, in a way, stereotypically female. And some of the episodes in America weren't aired because of um, gender, uh, inf- reinforcing negative gender stereotypes. So Lucille, for instance, gets stressed and explodes, you know, and yeah. be- because she's so emotional, because she's a woman, but at the same time, she's doing it because the men are being jerks. <laughs> Uh, Polly's whole thing is like love hearts and sweetness, but I think the dub offsets that by Polly being really forceful and forthright. You know what I mean? But their weapons actually seem to be incredibly effective as well, (laughs) despite the fact they're based in these stereotypes. And then Francine gets a giant gun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yes we'll uh i will come to the launch sequence yes, in a yes. bit I think, yeah. <laughs> so bad bird is watching them as he likes to do and he fire he, he's got his own missile he fires it and it causes clouds to cover little tokyo in a and fantastic then, special effect <laughs> oh, I, I, and we know it's a fa- fantastic special effect because they tell us it's time to let the real fireworks begin <laughs> And from out of that comes the the best dragon they could possibly draw. And <laughs> it's 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 actually a very good dragon. I was quite yeah. impressed with it. This is this is a nice. It's got mechanical legs, so you can clearly see what its nature is as it comes down. Mm. But it is this big, terrifying dragon drawn in that's slightly... It's not like a, a European dragon. It's very much a Japanese kind of dragon with the yeah. with the things coming in out, out of its mouth and the beard and all that kind of stuff going on. And it starts flying over town and smashing into buildings and causing mayhem with some shots that are about to become very familiar through the course of this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, it, and it gets to squash a turtle, a ninja... I, I think they actually say Ninja Turtle coming out of the retirement home. Yep, yep, a retirement, uh, uh, <laughs> a convalescent home for retired Ninja Turtles. And <laughs> as the turtle is knocked out of its shell by the piece of falling masonry, it runs off screaming, Cowabunga! <laughs> <laughs> it narrowly avoids Speedy and Guido. And Speedy sees inside that there are ninja crows flying the dragon. They've got their little yellow glowing eyes, which is quite cool. Mm. And then we get a scene, this is another scene which I think is completely different from the Japanese version because the business community meet up. Uh, yeah, so there is a sort of council meeting and what the, where this comes from is in the Japanese version where the city is called Edoopolis, it is based on uh, Edo Tokyo, the, the forerunner to Tokyo in the um, Shogunate and Samurai era a few hundred years previously in Japan. So the reason you have all these business leaders is that they are the community representatives meeting with the shogun. And so this book in American, this 
parlance, this becomes a local council uh, uh. or, you know, a, a state legislature, I suppose. And uh, yeah, so we meet, um, uh, we meet Emperor Fred, uh, his daughter, Princess Vi, who is named after Princess Di, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we meet Big Al Dente and of course um, Seymour Seymour Cheese. Yeah, so they're discussing various ways to deal with this, and uh, and the reason they're sort of in rank and file is they are in rank and file. Like if you're closest to the Shogun, you have a higher position. So Al Dente and Big Cheese sit at the front, and then you got the other ones sort of stretching out through the front of the room. And um, these guys in the American version are all shopkeepers. And yes. Seymour saying, "Oh, we've got to, we've got to fight this big dragon." I, Seymour's plan makes no sense. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so, so he he's in favour of fighting it. And the shopkeepers say, "Well, no, actually, it's been really good for business because I've been selling steel umbrellas. Everyone's buying <laughs> running shoes." <laughs> uh, but then someone else chips in and say, "Well, actually, sales of widescreen TVs have been going down, <laughs> which is quite cool." And then, and then, to the big cheese's horror. The al dente says we should get the samurai pizza cats in on this. So, I, I, okay, no, I it, I think it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure because I might have missed something. But the big cheese wants them to fight the dragon, but not use the samurai pizza cats. But he wants to promote commerce. What is big cheese's motivation in this scene? I, I don't know. I seem to recall there's a scene uh, with big cheese's lead uh, advisor Jerry Atrick. Um, who is an older Ninja Crow, that um, pretty much he wants the dragon to lay waste to a bunch of buildings so he can redevelop them. He's a property developer in, in, in this sense, and that will mean more businesses and people paying him rent and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's outwardly saying, I want, to stop the I want to stop the dragon, when it's like, well, what can stop the dragon? I can say that I want to stop the dragon, but I just have to say that because I'm, you know, I'm very concerned about the community until Big El Dente actually has a plan to stop yeah. the dragon. And uh, the big cheese is like, oh, oh, damn, that actually might work. So what I need for this, I actually do need some show notes for each episode so I can follow <laughs> what's going on. I, I actually, I, I watched it on YouTube and I tried watching it with the auto-generated subtitles. Oh God, they that would be even more confusing. Absolute <laughs> gibberish. Total, total, <laughs> just, it didn't catch any word they said. It was rubbish. <laughs> so they decided oh, to yeah. spur themselves into the action and uh, they all agree that the best thing about the Samurai Pizza Cats is that... They deliver! Yes, they... Oh God, I keep setting people up like that and they go, <laughs> oh... <laughs> Did you not watch the episode? <laughs> but that's the thing, it's so dense. It's like I'm going, yeah. is it something that happens at the pizza parlor? Is <laughs> it is it the launch sequence? No, no, hold on. Princess Vi says this and everyone falls about because it's a terrible pun. <laughs> yeah. You know the best thing about the samurai pizza cats? No, tell us, Princess Vi. They deliver! <laughs> The dragon attacks again in exactly the same way as last time. There's lots of stills and reused footage. Yep. The Francie, <laughs> I've written green cat because I didn't know her name when I wrote the synopsis. <laughs> the green cat answers the phone and it's the samurai pizza cats called into action. It's time for the big launch sequence. So the launch sequence, very exciting. This is the highlight of each episode because it's the same every week. <laughs> 
So the launch sequence, uh, first of all, three ovens reveal that they have sliding tubes and the pizza cats jump into them in a scene reminiscent of the uh, shadow interceptor pilots jumping into uh, their cockpits from UFO. And there's, a course, reason, there's a reason you mentioned Jerry and Sylvia Anderson earlier, it wasn't there. Indeed, because they are still huge in Japan, right? When I went to Japan in 2013, there was a pop-up Thunderbirds cafe um, with themed meals based around the various vehicles. Um, I got Tracy Island, by the way, which was an island of mashed potato with a hamburger on it as the island and a little kind of yellow carrot on the side as Thunderbird 4 and various other things. Th- this is how big Jerry Anderson was over there. Um, yeah. Jerry and Sylvia Anderson. Uh, so, look, there are definite cribs from... UFO and I think Thunderbirds as they sort of get their armor put on and are eventually fired out of a giant. <laughs> well, <laughs> well yeah. what are they fired out of, Stephen? <laughs> well, uh, firstly, please, please, please send me photographs. Or please tell me you took photographs of this pop-up cafe because it sounds like the yeah, most amazing will... thing I've ever heard about. <laughs> I will ha- I will have to find them, but it was really chill. It is closed because we went back in 2019 and it wasn't there. Um, but yeah, I had I had the Tracy Island. Uh, Rod had uh, Thunderbird Five, which had a Frankfurter on the side, which was Thunderbird Three coming into dock. Um, and when he had the lonely. The, when you get the Thunderbird Five, do they put you on a separate table on your own and you can't talk to anyone? Well, the accompanying drink was the lonely astronaut mocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Superb, superb. <laughs> Back with the Samurai Pizza Cats on their exciting launch sequence. So their entire pizza parlour, which is sort of pagoda shaped, the top half lifts up and then there's a huge, it's like a revolver, very much yes. like a, a very kind of uh, Western kind of like uh, cowboy kind of gun. And the tubes of the revolver spin around and a little flap opens up in the front and it launches out the three Samurai Pizza Cats. Three, two, one, or possibly one, two, three. I wasn't paying attention. And <laughs> they start blasting across town. And what typically happens at this point is Francine's mucked up the trajectory and they crash into something. Yes. <laughs> which they, but they actually make it this time. Yes. And there's a couple of little people down on the ground point up and go, oh, no, there's a Samurai Pizza Cats. And do a quip or whatever. Yeah. There, there they are polluting again. <laughs> you know, if it was dubbed today, they'd be going on about chemtrails and um, oh, yes. and, that, and, and, the, and the mother would be an anti-vaxxer. Um, <laughs> Terrifying. I don't believe in not an antivirus. Sorry, I digress. So, yes, so the Samurai Pizza Cats blast across town and then they land on top of another building and they do their introduction sequence. This is incredibly exciting. Yes, and you know what? That's something I really love about all these um, dubbed Japanese shows and, you know, the Gundam shows and the the Power Rangers and the Big Bad Beetleborgs. The villain always very considerately waits for everyone to introduce themselves. And this bothers me. It bothers me. It would have bothered me more as a kid rather than it does now. Now I'm quite happy to sit back and say, yep, we're getting the same bit again and I'm going yep. to enjoy it because it's a really nicely animated moment. It's a nicely animated moment, and there's something hugely comforting about it. You know, it, it's kind of like television has become more complex and diverse in storytelling and, and more interesting, and that's great. But there's something to be said for formulaic TV where you know what's going to happen and you can watch it at the end of a long day and, you know, none of your favourite characters are going to be killed off. <laughs> oh, know? yeah, yeah. That's not going to happen here. 
so yeah so it looks like bad news for the pizza cats when bad bird announces that they will be unable to defeat their terrifying dragon because there's no time left but the pizza cats realize that they've spoken to the producer and there is plenty of time left in this episode (laughs) (laughs) it's always a good idea the dragon attacks and it really doesn't last long no and it's another very clever thing to do in the opening episode because each of the pizza cats use their particular power against the dragon. So Guido uses the sunspot umbrella in order to set fire to the dragon, and then Polly uses her love heart power to reel in the um, the birds who are piloting the dragon in order to scratch them. And, um, that, but you know, that may burn away the body and get rid of the pilots, but we still have the legs. <laughs> so what are they going to yeah. do? Play football? <laughs> so there's, what we know is, is there's two spheres with poles mm-hmm. sticking out them and these giant rotating circular legs, which are running around town. <laughs> yes. So it's like, oh no, there's still this terrifying thing, which actually I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, fortunately, uh, Speedy Savici has the perfect attack to deal with this. Yep, he has a very specially named sword, which is he has the the Ginzu sword. The Ginzu sword. Do you know anything about the Ginzu sword beyond the fact that it's called the Ginzu sword? So it's it's a parody of infomercials at the time, um, because they were very big in America. They were becoming big in Australia. There's um, diverting to Doctor Who for a moment. The first season of Jodie Whittaker, of course, features a villain called Sim Shah. Now. In Australia around this time, the infomercial king was Tim Shaw. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, the, and the thing is, with Pete McTie on the writing staff of the first two Whitaker series, I refuse to believe he wasn't at least aware of this. Um, oh, yeah. So, you have, um, I think Ginzu is sort of a famous Japanese uh, knife maker, or possibly knife making style, I'm not entirely sure. So Ginzu blades were this big thing in the 90s that you could get, you know, if you ordered um, uh, if you ordered them from telemarketers. In Australia, this guy Tim Shaw would be advertising, say, a vacuum or, um, you know, a special mop. But if you called in the next 10 minutes, you would get a free set of steak knives. So that became this sort of buy thing in Australia, and with a free set of steak knives. So even though I don't think we had the Ginzu knives in Australia at that time, I remember as a kid thinking, oh my god, you know, it's a special knife that cuts through anything. And yet the weird thing is, like, he's already got a sword, but then his scabbard turns into another sword, and he does the dual sword thing, and every episode the narrator has to fill the sort of 20-second sword wind-up sequence with another description of how amazing and magical the Ginzu sword is. (laughs) And I think there is a bit where he says it even makes french fries and chips. Not in either of these episodes, (laughs) but I do remember that at some point. Uh, yeah. Well, the Ginzu sword, I, I did not get that his scabbard also turns into a sword. It's like he's got his, oh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, okay, brilliant. <laughs> and the Ginzu sword obviously is so incredibly sharp that he throws it through the spheres in the middle and Bad Bird's laughing because he's missed. And it's that old joke where his sword is so incredibly sharp that it's just gone straight through and they fall neatly in half and the dragon yep. is destroyed. Yep, one half is Daryl Hannah, the other half is Lucy Lou. <laughs> so they do the Samurai Pizza Cat's victory pose. 
And then the standard things that happen at the end of each episode happen. So the big cheese is furious and his head grows redder and redder and redder. And geriatrics trying to tell him to channel his energy and then his head explodes. Yep. And the samurai pizza cats stand on a bridge and Speedy falls off into the river. Oh, yes. Speedy. <laughs> so there we go. So I, I think I'm probably having some kind of brain hemorrhage after that. But it was brilliant anyway. <laughs> I, 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 I am also banging my head against the desk trying to come up with the man of the match. I'm going to say Guido. What were you going to say? <laughs> um, I'm going to say Lucille because um, she she does what I think we should all do when we encounter people throwing around political terms that they don't actually understand. <laughs> oh, Brendan, Brendan, are you going to get some kind of head-mounted missile launcher? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually have a fun game on, on Twitter I play now, which is how long can I scroll until I see something that makes me want to log off the internet and throw my computer out a window? <laughs> you get 10 seconds through. It, you know, it's, it's usually some very egregious reading of a television program that doesn't actually... I love television, but it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> <laughs> In the grant, put put yes. this energy into voting for a political candidate. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone is going to be furious with the way we've come to Samurai Pizza Cats, but let's yep. do it again, shall we? Let's Hooray. do it again. <laughs> let's do another episode. Samurai Pizza Cats. Oh yeah. Who do you call when you want some pepperoni? Samurai Pizza Cats. Samurai Pizza So the second episode we're going to look at is If You Knew Sushi Like I Knew Sushi, which is probably a pun, but it's not a very good one. <laughs> well, um, a lot of the episode titles are puns on songs. So, of course, the previous episode, Stop Dragging My Cat Around, is a pun on the Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. And this is a pun on If You Knew Susie Like I Knew Susie. <laughs> <laughs> good. You have to know the song. Excellent. <laughs> it starts off with a peaceful night in little Tokyo and the bad bird and his henchbirds are walking around the rooftops and doing all kinds of nefarious business. They are following, for some reason, a sushi maker who's going on his way home. And the narrator points out that it's very difficult to go home with your eyes closed because <laughs> he's wandering about the streets with his eyes tightly shut. Which is implied to be a drunken bet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and the sushi maker is attacked by the ninja crows and kidnapped, crownapped, in fact. <laughs> and the Lucille, who is identified as his sister, mm -hmm. wakes up and notices that he's not come home and that he's mm -hmm. gone and that he's been kidnapped. Now, they are identified as brother and sister, but I'm not so sure. What uh, do you think? Yeah, you see, for, for, for us, the fact that they have adjacent beds is is a bit of a clue. But in a um, in a traditional Japanese sense, it wouldn't be unusual for a brother and sister in the uh, Edo period to be sharing a room, even as adults. And of course, um, it, it wouldn't be possible in the Japanese dub for Lucille and uh, Wally to be romantically involved because, of course, that would, you know, break the whole love triangle with um, Speedy and Guido. Because I did wonder the same thing myself, but as the episode went on, I, I, I found myself thinking, oh, no, it's 
it it is as we are being presented here, and you know, it's not a Sailor Moon thing of oh, they're just cousins. Yeah, okay, they're no, just so- good friends," said the archaeologist. <laughs> so actually, for once. It is entirely correct. They're brother and sister. Yep. They happen to live together. It's perfectly fine. And brothers yep. and sisters should care for each other, as as they do in this episode. So we go back to the Samurai Pizza Cat's pizza parlour, and we go mm-hmm. to their drive through So the drive through is also kind of interesting, because you've got all these little, again, I keep saying pagoda, because I don't have a better word for it, pagoda-shaped cars that are driving through, and Francine's being rude to the customers and telling them to go around the front, <laughs> go around the back, or whatever. Uh, and it is up to Speedy to deliver a pizza. They get a phone call for a special delivery, which Francine promises to Guido, and Guido is moaning because uh, some cartoon characters get theme parks devoted to them, and he's got to sit here <laughs> in the pizza parlor delivering pizzas. But he perks up a bit when Francine tells him he's got to deliver it to the home of Wayward Girls. <laughs> It's such a filthy joke. Yeah, I was really shocked watching that. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a carry on Tridians kind of, kind of joke. Um, and we we also have that wonderful bit where um, uh, is it polyester or Fred Seed is serving a customer, and you know, here's the mystery roll. If you can guess the ingredient, you get a free stomach pump. <laughs> Sounds good, but I don't want to make a pig of myself. What you worried about bacon breath? You sure can't get any fatter. By the way, identify what's in today's surprise within three bites. You win a free stomach pump. It was nice knowing you. Next. But again, it all goes by so quickly. Parents watching this, you're not going to notice that. You're not going to pick up that he's just said the home. Did he say the home for wayward girls? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And and what's really fascinating about how quick the script is, the script is so bang, 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 bang. And establishing shots that would usually be in other cartoons are covered by the narrator. So it's wall-to-wall dialogue if there's not an explosion going on. <laughs> uh, Guido gets blood, so they get the revolver out, but they seem to use a slightly different, it's not the full launch, it's just like he hops into the blaster revolver thing that blasts him yeah, it, down for this bit. It, yeah, it, seem, it seems we have three methods of delivery. So we have them sort of going along on their rocket skates last week, which was weird. Like, there's no sound effect, there's no rockets, but they're just skating along without their legs moving. Um, it's just easier to draw without the legs it's moving. It's easier to draw, that's right. Um, then we have, like, the express pizza delivery with the gun in a slightly lower position. But then we have, you know, battle pizza cats. We extend the gun fully. <laughs> yes, there's, there, there's a whole world of complexity here that I just do not understand. <laughs> But fortunately, just at this point, some kind of mammal, possibly a fox, pops up and he's got a diagram of the pizza parlour to explain how the gun works with the drawing. Yes. I don't, I don't, you know, it, it, it's, it's Monty Python explaining the flying sheep, um, except this is in English and should be understandable, but it's not. <laughs> um <laughs> From 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 what little research I have managed to do, and when I say little research, it's because, you know, not a lot has been written about this show outside of... There's a lot sort of written canonically about it. There is a fan book, but in terms of production, I believe this might be the Japanese narrator, who, according okay. to a few sources I read, appears in one episode, but doesn't specify the episode. But here, he's not voiced 
with the same voice as the narrator. So that's ambiguous. <laughs> it's all ambiguous. Actually, it's this all is ambiguous. Very ambiguous. This was actually one of my favourite scenes because it was so <laughs> random. It's so like, this guy turns up. He didn't turn up last week in the first episode when it would have been useful. He turns up in the second episode <laughs> to explain how it works. And all he does is he says, it comes out the top of the building, the top, the top, and bashing himself <laughs> on the head. Not the top of my head. So obviously... In the original script, there's something that makes sense. In this script, yep. it's far more amusing because it makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, thank you. We can see that's the top of the building. Like, maybe it's to fulfill an educational remit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're long gone by the 90s. You don't have to educate anyone anymore. <laughs> Rem- so remember, that- kids, only you can prevent pizza fires. <laughs> <laughs> So we cut back to Lucille, who's wondering where her brother should be. And she meets up with Speedy, who asks where her brother has gone. And it's revealed that her brother is a former lightweight sumo wrestler who now makes sushi. And we get a couple of little flashbacks to him making sushi for the big cheese himself. But it all goes wrong because he gives big cheese an extra spicy sushi with too many jalapeno peppers for his new Mexican (laughs) sushi recipe. (laughs) <sighs> yeah okay yeah yeah you're gone you're gone i'm gone i'm gone i'm broken I'm, I, yeah i like this afternoon when i was re-watching it that i had to pause <laughs> just <laughs> the, the mexican sushi <laughs> <laughs> please please I've, I've now got to try this i've not got to use uh, all kind of Mexican spices in my in some kind of sushi recipe. I, I and I've got to learn how to make sushi and do Mexican stuff. But you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are there really jalapeno peppers? It's my new Mexican style sushi. You're fired, and you can forget that guest spot on cooking with Raúl. Uh, Lucille points out that her brother has been kidnapped. And she gets very upset about this, and of course she cries, and her hair missiles get set off, knocking speedy over and all that kind of stuff but there's worse news to come she suspects that he was grabbed by the big cheese himself and then in exactly the same format as the previous week we go to the conference room where big cheese is speaking to al dente yeah it's kind of doesn't the big cheese doesn't big cheese directly say hey al dente there's gonna be a massive threat to the city how do i know i'll never tell and al dente's (laughs) like hmm (laughs) yeah this massive destruction on the streets will increase consumerism and capitalism make loads of money. You know, it 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 predates Amazon, and you know when 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 there's great trouble, people you know buy buy lots of stuff, and it's like actually, yeah, <laughs> we have observed that. Yeah, we yeah. Oh, we've had the pandemic, we have the toilet roll missing pandemic. It's all uh, we've seen it happen. I I listen to I listen to uh, a podcast by. Um, by a by a writer and motivational speaker called Mel Robbins, and she she talks about psychology, and she often uses the phrase "avoid like a plague." And I kind of want to write into her and say, "Mel, I love your work, but I think we need to retire that phrase because people don't." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I've got a bone to pick with you because ah. we in the UK we were all right. We had toilet rolls. People weren't panic buying toilet rolls. <laughs> And then we saw videos of the Australians panic buying toilet rolls, and it was like, oh, we got to panic buy toilet rolls now. So I'm blaming your country for all of this. Quite right, quite right. And do you want do you do you want do you want to know something interesting that's happened here? Now that people aren't panic buying toilet rolls, 
we moved to our new apartment and we're like, okay, let's do the big shop and get cleaning materials. Blah, blah. We walk into Big W, which is, um, I suppose, a bit like uh, probably one of the Asdas that has a big homewares section. You know, oh, I know that some Asdas. Yeah. 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 So we walk in there and, oh, let's get some toilet roll. And there's a pack of 60. And I have never seen this before the pandemic in Australia. And not only that, it was incredibly cost effective. So uh, my entire bathroom cabinet is filled with um, filled with toilet rolls. And three months on, we still have over 30 of them. So um, didn't do it during the pandemic, but I, I know a bargain when I see one. But that's yeah. how things have changed for us in terms of toilet rolls. We need to start selling toilet rolls with our own cupboard that you can store them in. <laughs> this is where we are now. On, on wheels to get it home. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the conference room, big, the Big Cheese is now speaking to Geriatric, the older crow. Mm-hmm. And then the script goes completely off piece, so they start talking about eyebrows for a bit. How do you deal with drama and danger? I live to an eyebrow and look ominous. Fine for you, at least you have eyebrows. I've been forced to go through life without any. I find this highly amusing. We will now laugh. <laughs> May I ask why you're laughing, sir? Eyebrow humor. That is enough talk about eyebrows. We shall now laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so Francine launches the samurai pizza cats again across town. I've lost track of why she's doing this, but they're going somewhere. Uh, well, they... uh, Al Dente's suspicions have been raised. God knows why. Um, <laughs> and so he summoned the pizza cats. Uh, but yeah, this is where her trajectories go off. <laughs> yeah, they get sent off town at the wrong angle. And they, one by one, trash into a chimney, knocking it shorter and shorter as they each hit the chimney. And then we see Speedy going flying through an office block, trashing through one window, missing everyone, trashing through the other window. And somehow that changes their trajectory because Speedy, Speedy then says, we're now heading towards the right building, but far too fast. And they don't <laughs> crash through that. They just crash into it. Yeah, they just flat into it. And they go up and see Al Dente. And Al Dente tells them that they're all doomed. And it's a commercial <laughs> break. And we know it's a commercial <laughs> break because they tell us. <laughs> Maybe it's just a good time for a commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so we get our second giant mecha, second episode, second giant mecha, and something is attacking the citizens. We don't see what it is at first, and Big Cheese is watching it, and he's laughing. He's saying, oh, wow, this is going to be so fantastic. And then we cut to the mecha of the week, which is some kind of crow with giant hands, and what is it doing? It is turning the residents of Little Tokyo into sushi. Yes. So it doesn't seem to be actually hurting anyone. But no. It picks them up, wraps them in a ton of rice, does the two-finger technique, the two fingers come down and squishes them in, and then mm-hmm. they're trapped in a great big sushi roll. And that that is going to make people go out and buy toilet paper, is my understanding. Yeah. That is exactly what's happening. <laughs> uh, ha- ha- yeah. Has any series yet so far in Robots in Their Eyes broken you this much? <laughs> I've I've kept going through quite a lot, but yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, a bit, uh, I'm a bit stuck now. <laughs> you're in our power. You think you're in a sushi bar, but you're under a hypnotic spell. <laughs> and 
giant! <laughs> Seeing that there is a giant sushi-making crow thing attacking people and turning them into sushi, the pizza cats go back to their HQ and they do the full launch sequence this time. And Francie yeah. fires them off. Yeah, we didn't see them get into the bullets last time. No, yeah, so it, it was slightly different. I wasn't sure, I haven't watched them all numerous times now, uh, that there are there are there was a slight variation here, but they've all got a red, white, and blue bullet that they go in. Mm. So the colour theme is oh it's pink actually, isn't it? So Speedy is white, polyester is pink, red, and Guido yep. is blue. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Got that. And it's so at this point, the Samurai Pizza Cats have launched and we get a montage of the Sushi Mecha attacking. And it's, as usual, it's the same footage we've seen previously, arranged, but this time there's lots of crossfades and bits and pieces going on. So at this point, Lucille is in the crowd. As the crowd is running away from the sushi-making robot, she looks up and notices the two-finger technique, which makes me snigger far more than it should, really. And it's <laughs> and the script doesn't actually draw attention to that. Uh, but she realises that's her brother's technique. And we cut to Bad Bird, who explains, yes, he's in there and he's hypnotised into thinking that he's making regular sushi. <laughs> So when the, when the pizza cats arrive, Speedy uses his... He's got an x-ray thing that comes down over his face so he can see through the mecha. And actually, yep. I suspect he should be using this every week because there's always somebody operating a mecha. Yeah, and you want to know what's weird? I can't remember what he calls that device, but it's not a cat's eye or a cat scan. And what is even the point? <laughs> <laughs> you think they... Yeah, I mean, they've done all the other obvious jokes. Do that one. Yeah. Uh, I, but I really liked the um, the bit where we see inside the mecha and we see the slightly deranged brother with a manic look on his face making sushi in there and laughing. I thought that was really cool because he's a ram and he's got kind of big eyes and all kinds of stuff going on. That was really good. Uh, the big cheese is delighted. Everyone is so frightened they'll buy loads of stuff. But it's time for the pizza cats to attack and they do a big reveal on the top of a nearby building where they do their usual shtick. Mm-hmm. The... Sushi making machine is about to make a snack of Lucille, and they go to rescue her. But the Samurai Pizza Cat's weapons initially they fire size and throwing stars and all the other things you're not allowed to see on American TV, and all those weapons bounce off the sushi machine. Yep, and it gets even worse because Guido gets sushied. Yes, poor Guido, and 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 just, and just sort of sits in there until uh, you know I, I'm stuck. I'm stuck until I can get up and make a quip. Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> And just to add insult to injury, Polly realises that her breath smells awful because she forgot to brush her teeth after lunch again. <laughs> yes, I look, I'm wondering about that bit, and I think in Kyoto Nindentai ND, like, the residents of Little Tokyo don't know that the mild-mannered pizza servers are, in fact, the samurai pizza cats, despite the fact they don't wear masks of any kind. So when she shouts out for Guido's... Japanese equivalent. She goes, "Oh no, I mustn't reveal his name." When it's like, uh, um, "Well, duh." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we uh, everything rattles on. Bad Bird attacks Speedy, and there's a sword fight. I was I was disappointed with the sword fight because it's very much like they run towards each other, their swords clash, and then they stand still, going, Arr! "Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah." Which, which and then they jump up into the air and they move very slowly, and you see them see uh, Bad Bird holding his sword while the background moves behind him and he's just standing very still and shaking a bit. And I thought, yeah, I I like more from my sword fights. It's not a He-Man level of sword fights, but it's not 
at Dogtanyan levels, which is now my whole <laughs> pinnacle for sword fighting. <laughs> That's fair enough, yeah. I remember the, the thing that struck me with that sword fight is, you know, the close-up of Speedy that you get. It's like, all that's moving in this image is the background lines and his shoulder is jackhammering. It's like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yep, yep, we, we need a cheapy scene. <laughs> it, it needs, it, what, what's that Terran Six line? It needs to be exciting, dramatic, tense and cheap. <laughs> yes, very cheap. But I and think well, there's ways, ways to, if, you, if you do more cutting, I think that makes it more interesting. If you just like have like a sword moving or, or some kind of yeah. motion. But as soon as it goes still, I, I, I just think it really loses it. But anyway, and we get a much better attack with the Ninja Crows attacking Polyester. Yeah, and she does the whole reel in thing. <laughs> <laughs> which which is, it's actually great. I don't think I picked up as a kid that's what was happening. You know, she, re- she reels them in and they find her irresistible. And then she scratches them all in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really effective because they're all surrounding her with swords. And all she needs to do is pull them in with her love hearts. And then they're all lying on the floor, scratched to pieces. It's absolutely brilliant. You boys need a little stroking. Kitty paws. <laughs> so it all likes it's going to be a big mess. It looks like everyone in town is going to be sushi. But fortunately, Speedy gets his magical Ginzu sword out. And he very quickly slices the sushi mecha in half, freeing Lucille's brother and saving the day and leaving Bad Bird to leave because he has a dental appointment, apparently. <laughs> and there we go. So the big cheese is furious. He rages and explodes, as before, with his geriatric crow. Uh, there's a quite a nice little ending with Lucille and her brother. Yes. And her brother called Wally has learned to find meaning in the enigma that is life. <laughs> yes, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> So speedy, speed, So we get a, a standard pizza cat ending with Speedy standing on the bridge saying his agility has saved the day just as he falls off, off the bridge into the river again, like he did last week. Does that happen every week? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. this, time, this time we get an exciting freeze frame as if he's falling down a rocket silo in, in a natty grey jumper. Yes, but it, it, it is pretty much a, a standard ending. I think there are some endings where Lucille gets excited and blows everyone up as well. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the end of episode two. <laughs> I'm whimpering. I am whimpering. <laughs> well, I, I've, I, Man of the Match is probably Bad Bird was quite cool in this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You, you've got a better idea. Well, you know, as as um as, as much as you know, there is a mecha sort of crushing everyone. Really, all he does is give everyone a weighted rice blanket, and you know, we <laughs> we, we we we've we've quite come to enjoy those. I I I, I think also um uh, Francine might get a mention for being man of the match for just launching everyone through buildings and going oh oops. <laughs> she is she's kind of awesome because she's uh, I did mention her at the start, but she works at the pizza parlor. She's not a pizza cat. But she's the kind of man, man in the van kind of character. Yeah, I think launching people through buildings and not really giving a shit big 2023 energy, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's where we need to be. This is what we yeah. need to aim for, is blasting people with a giant revolver from the top of our buildings through other buildings. Because <laughs> that, is what we, that is what society needs today. 
Absolutely. Well, we're not getting flying cars, so I think we need to take matters into our own hands and giant roof guns. Um, <laughs> if um, you know, if these two episodes have broken your brain, I can tell you the series gets no more sensible as we go along. Um, the big cheese develops a penchant for cross-dressing, often with no particular purpose. And you know what? Good on him. I support his dream of being a cheerleader. There's actually an episode where he poses as a cheerleader for part of his scheme and then keeps the outfit on for the whole damn thing because he enjoys it. And all power to him. Um, the Pizza Cats are also joined by special rescue cats later in the series, including General Catton um, and Bat Cat, Spritz Tea Cat, and um, a cat called uh, Miasma, who uh, can dig through the miasma. Uh, <laughs> um, as I say, it doesn't get any more sensible. It just gets more and more unhinged, probably. <laughs> yeah, if, if this is the level of madness they start off with, and you have a writer's group who want to keep topping each other as they approach 52 episodes... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say there are times where the series is very un-PC and look, you know, a 90s kids TV show that explores the theme of cross-dressing is not necessarily going to be particularly modern in terms of our own sensibility in its in its gender stereotyping. But at the same time, there are 90s attempts to break down gender stereotyping. There is an episode where everyone swaps gender. Uh, <laughs> which is one of the episodes that was banned in the United States. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of weird because it's got its foot firmly in two camps because it is it is friendly for children. It is a say a U rating in the UK, a G rating in Australia, um and a kids rating in America. But at the same time it has these adult jokes for the mums and dads at home, which wouldn't be out of place in an episode of Drawn Together or Family Guy. And it's, and it's a precursor to both of those. And I think I think perhaps it occupies a place between the 80s cartoons, which were very heavily regulated. And so, you know, you can't, for instance, show He-Man punching anyone. And when the Ninja Turtles starts out, you can't show the nunchucks in Britain or areas of Europe. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to Family Guy in 1999, you have a bit more of a free-for-all. And out of that comes Ren and Stimpy and Animaniacs with the fingerprints gag, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's that's world famous that is that's uh, quite a well-known one i i did i enjoyed it overall i as i say, i really liked the character designs i think i preferred the look of it and the animation to the 100 miles an hour dialogue yes. the humor is very broad it's very american and very much of that time but that's not necessarily a bad thing and some of the gags really landed and some of them, some of them, I think for me, fell quite short and were a bit sort of like that. And the trouble with humour like that is you get to you get two or three quick fire jokes in a row, and if none of them reach you, you kind of turn against the episode. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing worse than a joke that falls flat because it it just takes you away, it takes you out of it. You know, it it it, it, it poisons it for you in a way. So that's a bit of a problem. But that said. There was so much to enjoy in this week after week. <laughs> and 
I, I, and I, we have, I mean, like, even with this, we've overanalyzed it because you yeah. just got to sit back and go with it and you pick up the jokes you pick up. The rest of the dialogue you might miss because it's just gone too quickly. And it's fine. It's fine. It, it, it was a lot of fun. I, It's got a bit of a cult following. Yes. But I'm not... It seems quite... I, I'm going to be a bit rude. It seems a bit disposable to me. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would attract a cult. And maybe because it gets more mad as it goes on, maybe that's why it's attracted this interest just from two yeah. episodes when substantially a lot of it is the same and maybe this is the the wrong way to cover the pizza cats <laughs> i think another reason it's sort of developed a cult following is that it it came and went so quickly like it was a single season the toys never had an official release outside of japan so it doesn't have that transformers or ninja turtles cachet of being on the shelves like i remember as a kid being really disappointed i couldn't get a samurai pizza cats toy and even though like it's had dvd reissues it has been repeated in the 21st century it hasn't had that same kind of resurgence and i think that's kind of why it has a cult following in the same way that something like the prisoner might have had or the trapdoor or Super Ted, you know, and even the Trapdoor and Super Ted were repeated a lot more and part of the cultural landscape a lot more. This is more something like you might watch as a kid, as I did at like nine or ten years old, and then suddenly when I was about 20, I remembered it and started looking around for DVDs. And there weren't any until I was about 30, I don't think. And so it it's it's like it's like a fever dream from <laughs> from when you're a kid. I was sure that um, in the second episode, the support cats turned up, but looking at the next time trailer for next week, they actually turn up next week. So it's unfortunate that I didn't recommend episodes one and three because the series does start to grow. But no, I totally get what you mean in that coming to this without having seen it as a kid, you're just like, what the actual hell is going on, Brendan? <laughs> uh, that Those thoughts crossed my mind. However, <laughs> however, now having, I, I mean, I've watched two episodes. I may stick on a couple more. Yep, fair enough. Just to see how things change over time. But it is a cult. And in a way, it's a shame that it is now all available on YouTube. And in a way, it's a shame that so much of our culture is now freely available. It's great for doing this podcast because it makes it cheap. But on the other hand, what, to have this as a memory, to have this mm. as something that was there and suddenly gone, you speak to someone else, do you remember Samurai Pizza Cats? What on earth was that about? And do you remember that one where he was in drag in the old episode? Was there something <laughs> going on with that? Is in a way that's kind of makes it more precious than do you remember Samurai Pizza Cats? Check it out on YouTube. Oh my, that's a bit weird, isn't it? So totally having everything available has its advantages, but also has its huge downside as well. But it's just mm. I'm not saying one is better than the other. It just transforms the way we look at stuff. Which yeah, I think totally. Is very interesting. Totally. Like so, yeah. from mm, from where I am now, I can see my complete box set of the Avengers on DVD. And it's lovely to have, but it's nowhere near as exciting as that time I paid a hundred Australian dollars to get seven Kathy Gale episodes sent over from the US. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or back yeah. in the day when, when you you could get a Pirates Doctor Who VHS, which was eighth generation, but you could just about make out Revenge of the Cybermen. 
so yeah. exciting. <laughs> and yes. and anyway. look, speaking yeah. as an Australian, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. <laughs> you, you may have given us the toilet roll uh, panic buying, <laughs> but you also gave us Revenge of the Cybermen. So thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with Brendan Jones. We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, the pizza cats are samurai, and I'd like to note... Their antics take your breath away. Like furballs in your throat! We kittens are a special breed. We never call retreat. Whenever Big Cheese knocks us down, we land upon our feet. So hail to thee, O oh Pizza Cat. Please ring your little bell. Although you may be pen and ink, we know you'll fight like Pizza, pizza Cats! Thank you all very much for listening and good night. <laughs> <laughs> That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you. Thank you.